welcome to the Unfair Podcast. Hello and welcome uh, to the first of two podcasts in a special mini-series on the retail government bond market in Europe. In these podcasts, we'll be speaking to a number of senior officials at European debt management offices to, to explore the rising interest in this market, how it has shaped the funding of sovereigns and the challenges it faces too. I'm Bohan Kabai, Head of Content at OnFIF Sovereign Debt Institute, and in, in the first part of this podcast, I'm joined by Rue Amaral, Board Member at Portugal's Debt Management Office, and Marek Post, Director of Treasury and Capital Markets at the Belgian Debt Agency. Firstly, thank you both for joining me on this podcast, looking at the development of the re- retail government bond market. Both of your DMOs have been at the forefront of this development, um, issuing more in this market. Perhaps first of all, you can give us a brief overview of, of the products you offer to retail investors. So maybe Marek, do you want to sort of um, go first? Yeah, sure. So in Belgium, we, we have a actually quite long history of issuing uh, very straightforward at-market coupon uh, bonds to the to the retail investors. It used to be a program that was uh, issued in maturities between three and ten years, and it had a, a fairly stable success, I would say, uh, from the late '90s to the to the early years 2000, when it would generate uh, sales of about uh, one billion a year, uh, roughly. To, to the retail public. Of course, the, there's been uh, since quite some fluctuations with uh, first the financial crisis. And during that period, uh, the instrument in Belgium was used as a sort of a backstop really uh, to, the, to the wholesale bond market, showing that at certain uh, levels of spreads, the, uh, the Belgian retail investor was ready to step in and really provide a backstop to the, to the, to the wider market. Uh, which consequently indeed repriced after seeing that at uh, at uh, certain levels the, the Belgian retail investor was ready to step in and to to buy for a very big amount at the time, 5.6 billion of these uh, of these retail bonds. Of course, since we've then gone through a period of uh, extremely low interest rates, where the where the interest in the product uh, almost completely disappeared. And what we had expected uh, at the end of uh, last year was to slowly see interest in the product uh, coming coming back during this year. And indeed, at the beginning of the year, when we were still issuing these these products in the classic maturities of three, five, uh, eight years, we did see uh, an uptick in the volumes. And, and during the first two campaigns of the year, we issued approximately uh, 370 million of these uh, of these bonds, uh, of course, since we have seen a very big transaction in Belgium, which uh, which has had a number of novelties to them. First one was the was the maturity of the of the retail bond that we issued. So there, where in the past we we stuck to these maturities from three year onward, uh, this year we added a one year maturity to the to the product and that was it by itself i think given given the horizon on which uh, investors are uh, are mostly looking was already uh, an important element to explain the success that it had the second element was uh, was more politically driven i would say there was there was a, a lot of discussion going on in belgium about the level of remuneration of bank accounts and the the minister of finance uh, yeah was engaged in this discussion and wanted to put pressure on the on the belgian banks to to show more 
reactivity to, to the higher rate levels. And in order to, to do that, wanted to, to uh, use this one-year product also as a sort of a challenge to, uh, to the classical bank saving accounts. And in order to do that, also used the, the means of uh, giving a, a tax benefit on the bond that normally gets taxed at 30% in Belgium on the, on the coupon. In this case, the, that uh, percentage was lowered to 15%. Okay. And, uh, well, all of this combined uh, led to a huge success uh, that... Uh, yeah, yeah well, we'll go we... into the, the or we'll certainly go into the, the landmark transaction later on. Uh, um, okay. And we'll talk about that. But thank you, thank you uh, Marek. And just, Rui, uh, same question to you. You know, to give us a brief overview of Portugal's uh, dedicated products to retail investors. Yeah, so, sure. Uh, so, so in Portugal... We've had the so-called uh, saving certificates, floating rate saving, saving certificates. These this were launched in the 60s, in 1960 in Portugal, and has been continuously on offer since then. So this is not a bond. This is a, a saving certificate that pays a, a floating rate interest rate and has a, uh, has a maturity, but can be redeemed um, at any time by at the option of the the holder so so families um, and and at par so so these are the floating rate certificates they've been more or less the same since the 60s and they've been uh, continuously on offer so anyone can subscribe them uh well anyone with the portuguese tax resident so these are pro- products dedicated to 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 retail to families um low subscription amount amounts and uh, the last product so these, these are products that get replaced as we update uh, uh, its remuneration um, and um, so last year uh, what that was on offer for subscription was the series F so it started with the series A and we were we were we were up to the series E uh, certificates and um, and it was replaced uh, by the Series F in June of this year. But I'll get into that, why that was replaced. Uh, so besides the floating rate certificates as a context of the retail products in Portugal, you have um, since 20, so, so we had all this, all this time, all these decades, really, the, the floating rate certificate. And, and in 2010, we launched a fixed rate certificate. So also certificates, not bonds. Um, that has, you know, has had some interactions, and uh, and uh, and now we have a seven-year fixed-rate uh, certificate on offer. Uh, so we have, in terms of certificates, the floating rate and the fixed rate, right? Continuously on offer. Families can subscribe them on internet, on our website, or uh, in the current distribution channel, which is the physical distribution channel, which is the post office. Uh, so besides that, um, a few years back, um, uh, we we have launched uh, retail bonds. Th- at that time, it was decided that the retail bonds would be floating rates, so they pay the arrival plus a spread. So we're talking about retail bonds of uh, five years up to seven years. So different different. Uh, I'm talking about five to six uh, series of retail bonds. They were launched uh, one each year. We only uh, all of them were, have been redeemed already. Only so there was it's only there's only one left that will be redeemed in in 2025 uh, in July 2025. 
So these, these retail bonds, these are traditional bonds. They're listed, they have a price. They cannot be redeemed that far, obviously, unlike the certificates. And uh, they're, they're, um, they're, so they're listed with Euronext and they pay because they're floating rate, they pay Euribor plus a spread as well uh, with the floor on Euribor at zero. So these are the, you know, the market context for retail uh, in, in Portugal. Yeah, thank you, Rui. And uh, just sticking with you, and how much have you issued in uh, across your retail products this year, your retail issuance in total, and how does that compare to last year? So how much have you now shifted to retail uh, this year? So so, um, so retail bonds, they have uh, the last one, the retail bonds, the one, the last one that was issued, like it's the one that I've just mentioned, outstanding, uh, matures in 2025. It was launched in 20. In 2018, so like I said, a seven-year bond. This was one of the longer ones, um, and uh, so so Portugal hasn't really issued after 2018. So during the pandemic and and most recently, that the, the Portugal has not really issued the retail bonds. So in terms of certificates, because they've been continuously on offer. Um, they weren't really until the summer of last year. So. Um, Net issuance was hovering around zero, more or less around zero, a little bit plus, a little bit on the positive, and a little bit on the negative at times. So it wasn't really a factor in relation into our uh, defining our funding program. Uh, it wasn't really didn't bring on too much funding because net subscriptions was was zero. I mean, the product gets uh, reimbursed early, and uh, with gross issuance, obviously gross issuance is always positive. But in terms of net issuance, there wasn't really a substantial amount. What happened in the summer of last year was that uh, as interest rates policy rates uh, were increased, so Euribor turned positive in the summer of last year, and the saving certificates and uh, aggressively positive. So there was a spike in policy rates, spike in Euribor, um, and with that, um, the floating rate certificates because they pay they pay the series E, they paid Euribor plus one percent with a cap at three point five percent. Uh, they suddenly became very attractive. And uh, that was not only because Euribor uh, turned aggressively positive, but also because banks as weren't fast enough in adjusting the, their remuneration on, on deposits, as elsewhere in Europe. Uh, so what we saw from the summer of last year was a, a almost a direct transfer from bank deposits to the saving certificates. So that was uh, net where where net subscriptions were always around zero, as I mentioned. Uh, we finished off last year uh, at with a positive figure, something like uh, not too too dramatic, something like in the four billion range. But uh, so we went into this year uh, a little bit cautious, knowing that uh, the saving certificates would have an impact on our funding program, a positive impact. So we have to be adjusted by. Uh, the funding problem would have to be adjusted by 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 lowering uh, other instruments uh, issuance, uh, so namely Portuguese government bonds uh, have, would have to to be issued in a lower amount to account for that because our funding overall funding needs weren't really rising, but uh, nonetheless there was uh, there was still going into this year because rates stayed up. Euribor continued continued its uh, its uh, path uh, upwards. Uh, and banks were slow to adjust, I would say. So, so net issuance continuing the first quarter of this year, and we, we, it forced us to revise 
uh, going into the second quarter, going to revise our funding program to account for net issues at 12 billion. So that's gross issues of uh, north of 16, 16.5 billion, and that's this is what that this is what what is still our estimate for the full of 2023. Okay, uh, is that an all-time high of retail issuance? That's absolutely an all-time high. Yeah. Um, so, so big, big increase uh, in terms of net, net issuance. Uh, like I said, I mean, net issuance was not too distant from zero historically. Uh, so this, this is the big change was 20, 2013. And it forced us to um, adjust and uh, not only adjust our funding program, but to, to launch a new series of uh, floating rate certificates, the series F in June. So we lowered um, because we felt uh, we felt that um, the weight of retail uh, was already at a healthy level. So increasing in terms of total debt, uh, we're now at more or less in terms of the weight of retail is more or less 16% of total debt. So we felt that was enough, and uh, because net issuance was was really peaking in the first half of uh, of 2023. So I think looking back, the highest month was in terms of net issuance was March uh, with the number of close to 3 billion. Uh, so um, we felt like something had to be done uh, to contain a little bit of this surge in uh, in retail demand. So okay. we la we launched, I mean, the series, the, the old series E was were clearly very attractive. So we launched a new series, Series F, where we adapted it a little bit more to, to or we adapted fully actually to our cost of um, PGB issuance. So we lowered the, um, the interest rate on the, on the product to Euribor flat, and we lowered the cap uh, from 3.5 to 2.5%. Mm -hmm. Also, we also extended the maturity prof maturity uh, maturity of the product. Uh, so from 10 years in the Series E to 15 year. Um, although I mean any investor can can redeem early, but but also most importantly, what we also did was we we capped the uh, subscription amount. Uh, so before uh, people could invest up to 250k of the Series E, and when we launched the Series F in June. We, we introduced an additional cap. So if you had 250K, you are done. You can no longer invest in the, in the savings certificates. But if you still have room to invest, you can invest up to 50, 50K. So 50K is the maximum amount that you can invest now in, in the Series F. Uh, so long you don't, you have not reached, you had not reached already the 250K limit. Okay, thank you. That's a substantial, substantial uh, change in the product uh, with the Series F introduction. And what we saw was that subscription, you know, gross, both gross subscriptions and net subscriptions came down aggressively from June. So we managed, uh, so our objective has been fulfilled. Uh, we achieved uh, our objective, which was to contain uh, net issuance of savings certificates. Okay, thanks, Rui. And, and just Marika, the same question to you, really. Uh... How much have you issued in your retail products this year? And how does that compare to uh, last year and previous years? I, I assume it's also a record level as well. Uh, yes, clearly. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, so the, for the classical products with uh, the longer maturities, so three to, to eight years, 
the amount that we issued was uh, close to 370 million um, so far this year in in the two first campaigns uh, of course the the big change came with the uh, with the one year product uh, that was offered uh, on top of that with uh, with a fiscal uh, fiscally more advantageous um, treatment and in that product the the success was huge with uh, with 22 billion uh, issued uh, in the in the September campaign. Now that was of course a, a, a very uh, big success, uh, also linked to the fact that uh, the minister had announced from the beginning that the the program would not close early. So that meant that meant that uh, during the subscription period, uh, we kept uh, the books open uh, throughout. Um, uh, meaning that uh, for a full eight days period, uh, people uh, were able to subscribe um, without any limitation, and uh, and that led to uh, an enormous uh, success of, uh, like I said, uh, north of, uh, of of twenty one and a half billion euros. Yeah. and that's the largest uh, retail bond sale in Europe as well, not just in Belgium. Um, Apparently, yes. In yeah. in this format, it's uh, it's the biggest uh, is the biggest. Uh, bond that was uh, issued yeah and and uh i do want to sort of go into this because it's quite quite a landmark transaction and, and for a number of reasons as you mentioned the maturity one year previously as well uh which, which was interesting but also i mean in terms of the demand and i'll ask you the same question really in a minute but is the, are you seeing demand from foreign investors as well in your retail products um, so no, because it's uh, it is really aimed at the, at the Belgian uh, investor mostly. Of course, uh, other European um, uh, citizens can subscribe, but they would, in practice, need to have a bank account uh, at the Belgian bank uh, or be able to subscribe electronically through uh, through the online system that we that we use, uh, which requires, for example, a, a Belgian identity card. So in practice, it means that uh, more than 99.5% of the subscriptions are from uh, Belgian residents um, and only a, a very minor part uh, uh, from people uh, from outside of Belgium. Yeah. And, and the one-year maturity is, is quite interesting because it's sort of like mimicking a uh, you know, savings uh, account by a bank in terms of locking up your money for a year to get the, exactly. yeah. the best rate. And uh, <clears throat> I, I did want to put something to you. I think someone mentioned um, this transaction when I was talking to them about it. They they, they sort of describe the the one year uh, the transaction that we're talking about that you issued in uh, last month. Uh, they likened it to a sort of a monetary policy operation to remove liquidity from the banking sector. I mean, what's your response to that? In many ways, you are you know as we, as you both discussed competing with banks. Uh, for retail money, but and you're, but you're also incentivizing the banks to pass on the on the higher rates, as we've discussed. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's of course a little bit double. Um, there is uh, on the one hand the there is the uh, the wish uh, to put some pressure on the banks to to uh, heighten the uh, the remuneration that they that they pay on the on the saving accounts. Um, Given the amount of excess uh, money that was uh, that was available within the the Belgian banks, we think that uh, that didn't uh, cause any any problems. But of course, uh, what you say is is right to some extent that uh, that money within the banks should of course also be used to create assets uh, to to give loans to 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 Belgian um, households. 
Uh, and then in that respect, of course, I think that there's a limit to uh, how often you can uh, do uh, this sort of exercise for these kind of amounts. Uh, clearly, uh, it cannot be the, the goal to completely drain uh, away uh, all of the all of the saving accounts or a very massive part of the saving accounts from banks. Um, I don't think we we're there at all. Um, clearly, there was a, a, a lot of excess uh, liquidity uh, available. Um, and on top of that, I think that um, apart from anything else, it's a, it's an interesting exercise for uh, for the for the retail uh, public to to be made more aware of uh, what they're doing with their money, uh, of the alternatives that exist to invest uh, to invest their money rather than just keeping uh, keep it on a on a savings account. And so, from that perspective, I think there's an interesting element uh, of. Uh, yeah, almost uh, education of uh, financial education of the broader public uh, in it as well. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And and Rui, um, to talk us through the demand that you're seeing uh, for your retail products, and is it mainly domestic? And and also, uh, have you explored about doing a, a one year maturity sort of a product tailored to retail investors as well? So so in Portugal, um, I mean this this the saving certificate. The saving certificates that are continuous on offer. I mean, we on, we only have the seven-year fixed rate, and now the Series F 15-year floating rate. This is not something that we change every month. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, these these are very stable offerings. Uh, so when we, like I said, we had the Series E on offer for for quite some time, and then we launched for more than a year, and then we 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 replaced it for a series for a Series F only in June. Uh, it took time to 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 to, to launch that new series, and uh, so I mean, the people know people in Portugal know that these these are are, are quite stable, so they don't uh, swing with the market, and uh, so sometimes they're more attractive, sometimes they're less attractive, depending on what the market financial markets are doing, and and the bank and the the alternative uh, savings uh, products are doing in Portugal. So what we saw, like I said, what we saw in Portugal in the first uh, half of this year was almost like a direct transfer from uh, from bank deposits to our savings certificates. Um, and, uh, and because banks were rather slow to adapt to the, to the new uh, interest rate, higher interest rate environment, I, I must say that now uh, they have fully adapted um, in Portugal. So so term so maybe not for site deposits but uh, for um for uh, term deposits uh, six months and uh, one year uh, interest rates have become attractive uh, i would say maybe on a simple comparison uh, direct and simple comparison with our current series f they have become quite attractive so uh, we are offering a cap of 2.5%, although it's it's, it's a 15-year product, so you can you are more or less you are guaranteed that you will have that remuneration during a 15-year period. Uh, but banks are offering uh, in Portugal they're offering six-month deposits for uh, 3.5 up to 4 percent. Uh, so so they have uh, become more attractive if you only compare the interest rates uh, direct comparison of interest rates. Um, and and what we saw, what we've seen now in the second half of uh, of this year is uh, bank deposits going up. Uh, so so 
yeah so so our, our net issuance now is is as returned like i said has returned more or less to zero uh so we 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 have uh, accomplished what we set out to do in in changing the series the series e to the series f uh so we are very comfortable and uh and uh that has coincided with uh, a, a, an increase in the remuneration of bank deposits. So I think the market is working in Portugal in that respect. So I think uh, people are more conscious, obviously, like Marik said, of interest rates. And, uh, and, and also the banks have uh, adapted somewhat to the new interest rate environment. In terms of who can subscribe these certificates, I mean, like I said, they are targeted to households, to small, to, to households, purely to, to households. So, uh, and because they have a low subscription amount now, even more predominant now for, for the, series, the Series F, the new Series F at 50K, I mean, they, they don't have like higher, I would say like private, uh, like higher higher net worth individuals. I think they have reached the 250K, the ones that did want to invest, they have alternatives. So it's purely for families. And uh, and uh, you would have to be to have um, you don't need a bank account. You, you can know, actually to have a you have to open a savings account with the uh, with the IGCP, so the Portugal's DMO. You can do that uh, in the postal postal service network, so at the post office. Um, and um, and uh, you need you're, the only thing you need is a tax tax residence tax resident card in portugal so you need a tax residency number that's it yeah okay I mean, we've talked a lot about the benefits to to retail investors for uh to households and individual savers for uh for these products but there's also a number of benefits um you know for yourselves and dmos and funding offices you, you, you know i guess namely the you know it reduces your borrowing costs um over a, over a period of time you know it being cost efficient in the sense of um, issuing mainly the short end of the curve and also saving fees for uh, large syndications where you issue in, in one in one go. Um, I wonder if you, if, um, if both of you could sort of just sort of state how much it's reduced your borrowing cost by over over say the next the next ten years or so. I mean, Marika, I'll come to you first. I mean, how much has your retail issuance reduced your borrowing needs, uh, particularly as you've been issuing um, this year? Yeah, I guess uh, there, of course, uh, what's a bit particular is that uh, it being a one-year maturity, it doesn't really uh, help uh, to, uh, achieve anything in terms of the, the long-term funding needs that we that we normally publish and uh, and, and and try to achieve. So uh, here, it has really been a product that uh, that in the end replaces uh, other short-term issuance by the by the Belgian government. Um, and in fact, uh, we've uh, we've reduced uh, the um, the T-bills issuance that uh, that we had planned for the for the end of the year um, uh, to uh, to really make space for uh, for for this uh, particular issuance. In general, so the the the, the medium and long term issuance of uh, towards the retail public um, is something that we typically uh, plan as rather limited amounts. Uh, we we also, for example, have in our long, long-term funding plan uh, an envelope for EMTN funding. Typically, uh, the, the, the funding through the retail is, is, um, is part of uh, that sort of an envelope that is, uh, of course, um, not so easy to estimate. 
to estimate, but uh, that we that we would uh, try to estimate at the at the beginning of the year. Uh, now that going forward will of course uh, become more important because we will have this uh, very big maturity coming up in September next year, and so uh, in our funding plan for twenty twenty four. We will have to reflect on uh, the the amount of reinvestment that we will uh, get from this uh, huge maturity of uh, of twenty one billion that we will see in uh, in twenty twenty four. Not only the potential for a roll rollover uh, in in the similar product uh, again one year, for example, uh, but also the potential for some of that money to be uh, reinvested in longer maturities, and so that will be. Uh, a challenge going forward, something that we will need to reflect on in in the coming months, is how that uh, that uh, very big number that we w- that will mature in 2024, how that uh, may translate into uh, reinvestment in some of the longer maturities and hence have an impact on our uh, longer term funding plan. Yeah, thank you, and and really uh, the same question to you: Has this as your retailers? dramatically sort of reduce your pouring costs over over the long term and are you looking to sort of roll over some of your uh, retail uh, bond products as well we don't really in terms of borrowing costs i mean uh, clearly now we've we've lowered um we low we've lowered the interest rate uh, of the series f to align it more with the uh, with our pgb costs uh, but so I wouldn't say it has lowered uh, our borrowing costs or it has had a, a, a substantial impact on our, on our borrowing costs. Um, and in particularly now we have, you know, we have managed to um, lower net issuance to zero. So we have contained uh, the weight of uh, retail at a level at around the 16% level of total debt, that's a level that we find appropriate for now. So this is what we are counting also for next year so that uh, retail won't have a substantial positive impact in terms of uh, our overall funding. Uh, so we we would like to, to, we are, I mean, it's still early days. We, we we're still working on our funding program for next year, but for now what we are uh, uh, estimating is, is uh, the contribution of retail to be at more or less around zero uh, in terms of overall funding. In terms of this year, it has had a substantial impact, like I said, in us readjusting our funding program uh, in the tune of something like seven, I would say something like 7.5 billion uh, reduction of uh, PGV and treasury bill issuance. Uh, so it has, be, has had a, a very, very big impact on our uh, in the Portuguese in the Portuguese government bond market in terms of lower issuance and uh, lower issuance from the DMO and the impact that it, it has on in in the overall uh, PGB market liquidity okay, so lower you. issuance lower liquidity in the market there's a zero net issuance for for retail bonds next next year is, is what you're you're forecasting yeah yeah okay yeah. And I, I think that brings up an interesting point because I mean we had our European SA forum. Uh, that the Onfield Sovereign Institute hosted last month in Luxembourg. We had a session on retail uh, bond programs with a number of DMOs, and, and, and the real sort of area of debate was about not all DMOs are convinced on the need to have a retail bond program because for them it's quite hard to identify whether the demand from retail is structural or opportunistic. So it's quite hard to sort of assess that, you know, whether investors are just sort of 
coming on board now with higher with high interest rates and higher yields. So, uh, and obviously, if it's if demand is opportunistic, it can you know obviously significantly increase refinancing risks. Um, what are your thoughts on that, both of you? I mean, um, I'll, I'll come to you, Merrick, first on that, and then Ruby afterwards. Yeah, I think uh, retail is probably one of the invest investor groups that uh, that will typically indeed uh, have a fairly opportunistic stance and, and will be ready to start looking at investing once uh, certain thresholds in, in terms of nominal rates are, are hit. At the same time, uh, that can be that can of course be very helpful uh, as a as, as a sort of a diversification that kicks in at the moment when uh, when when rates start going up um, and and provide a certain bottom and a, a support uh, for the market at at certain uh, levels. So yeah, I do think that uh, it is probably a part of the market that uh, that only gets starting interest at certain rate levels. But at those rate levels, they they can provide a certain diversification, provide a certain backstop, and a certain uh, kind of investor that uh, that puts a halt to uh, to uh, to the rise of uh, levels in certain maturities of the curve. So, I think it's uh, it's interesting to to have the the product on the shelf to uh, to to be able to access that part of the the market. Also, in terms of um, yeah, who you're reaching with uh, with this product, it's uh, it's your own citizens uh, that you actually are going to pay your uh, coupons to, uh, and and in that respect, it uh, it is also something that can actually be quite interesting to uh, uh, to to see as a as a diversification. So, I think it's uh, it's true. It's probably a, a group of investors that uh, will only uh, be interested when when the rates are high enough. But at those levels, it uh, can have their value. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's not just uh, I mean, there's not other benefits like diversifying the investor base and I suppose giving leverage on on yourselves as DMOs to sort of on institutional investors because of the uh, low reliance on them for funding and, and there's other other benefits as well. Um, Ruby, I guess the same question to you about. You know the nature of the retail demand being structural or opportunistic, and that's why some DMOs are quite hesitant on having a specific retail program uh, that you both have. I think we definitely believe on uh, diversifying our investor base, so retail is an important part of that, um, and it provides that benefit for sure. Um, I would I would maybe think that uh, the re uh, retail bond issuance would be more opportunistic, whereas in Portugal because you have these savings products directly to households, smaller families. We're talking about close to 1 million people holding savings certificates in Portugal. So it's more structural demands. Uh, like I said, net issuance has been, I mean, we analyzed this and uh, uh, net issuance has not been too distant from zero, you know, over the years, uh, since the 60s. Uh, so there is this stability, uh, an element of stability in the demand Although obviously it's in the feature of the product, uh, in the features of the product to 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 be able to to reimburse at par at any time. So uh, obviously you could face some you know some reimbursement search uh, at any point. Uh, but uh, so this is why one of the reasons behind why we have contained demand because we thought you know at six percent of total debt just thought that that was appropriate. So. We don't want. We believe in diversifying demands, and this is definitely more structural than maybe issuing issuing retail bonds. But we don't want to be too reliant on 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 a product that can be reimbursed at par 
at the option of the holder at any time. Uh, so, so yeah, those are the elements that we have to balance uh, in 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 Portugal. Uh, one thing that I didn't I wasn't clear about in the remuneration of the product uh, earlier on. Uh, um, uh, besides, so 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 the floating both the floating rate and the fixed rate certificates they pay besides having a uh, uh, paying well in the case of floating rates, which is clearly the predominant product, the most important one. They pay your IVR now. Your the Series F, your IVR flat capped at two point five percent, and they 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 go for fifteen years, but they they pay a uh, a, a premium. Uh, so they pay a uh, a holding period, holding premium between the, the the second year and the fifth year. They pay twenty five basis points premium, and then it rises to fifty basis points, one percent, and they finish off in the last year at one point seventy five percent premium. So clearly, there's an incentive here to not redeem the when you have held the product for a certain time, not to be you know uh, running fast to 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 get your money back at the, the first uh, at your first convenience. So so yeah, that provides a, an additional element of stability in the product and makes this much more structural than maybe you would think when you just look at the option of uh, of reimbursing uh, the, the 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 money at par at any time. Uh, yeah. So. Okay. Thanks, Louis, and uh, uh, thanks, Marek, as well. I think we'll leave it there. Um, thank you both for a very engaging discussion, and to our listeners, uh, please do keep an eye out for the second part uh, of this uh, mini series on retail government bonds, which will be coming out shortly. But yeah, thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Omfif podcast.